Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. Hello, my name is Julian Lee, and welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Valerie Brophy. She's a senior business consultant at GP Strategy. Today's topic is about understanding the importance and the the approach for conducting change impacts in this new virtual world that we live in. With so many people, so many employees working remote and change still occurring within organizations, it's important for us to understand how to be as effective as possible when we're doing change impact sessions and workshops. So we get the same quality of output that we would get whether we were uh, on site or not. So it can be challenging. So we have Valerie, who's an expert at this, who will talk about some of the new tactics and methods that she's used to help us be better at conducting these change impact sessions virtually. Valerie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julian. It is so lovely to be here today. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for coming. All right. From what I understand, you've worked in in this COVID environment with two major initiatives, both with with the companies that are Fortune 500, uh, Fortune Fortune 50 companies. And both of these initiatives have had some pretty significant changes in terms of technology changes and cultural changes. And it's, I'm sure it's been challenging trying to get change impacts done in this virtual world. But just talk to me a little bit about how you begin to understand those impacts in this COVID environment. Yeah. So Julian, at GP, our approach to change is really focused on being preventative, proactive, and responsive. And that really means that we're not just reacting to a change, but instead we're being preventative by really actively participating in the solution design and making those decisions that help drive adoption and minimize resistance from you know day one of the change. In doing so, we're proactively planning ahead and actively monitoring everything around us to pivot both our strategies and our tactics, and sometimes even the solution, fingers crossed, to drive the business results that the organization is looking to achieve. So from a more tactical perspective in learning about like the organization, its people, its culture, what success looks like. I really like to rely on a a personal philosophy or approach to working with clients, which is focused on relational discovery and then analytical discovery. And they're both deeply intertwined. And I believe that both are really critical to success along with our preventative, proactive, and responsive approach. Okay. Uh, You mentioned two terms there that our listeners might not be familiar with. Let's dive a little bit deeper into those terms and tell us exactly how they uh, relate to the understanding of of clients and understanding the impacts. You mentioned relational and analytical discovery. Exactly what are those? Yeah, so that's a great question. Relational discovery, the way I uh, define it, is all about getting to know people by building relationships and making that human connection. So for example, I like to log into meetings a few minutes early and to chat with the other early birds and get to know them. I also, I make sure, especially if I'm, the owner of a meeting that I plan my agendas to set aside the first few minutes um, of a meeting specifically for just getting to know small talk, just to set the stage and we're not just getting straight into business. And then I also like to, if I'm on video, see what's in the background of the videos of my teammates and coworkers 
and use that as a way to strike up conversation too. Obviously not getting too personal, but finding the right balance there. And then as I get to know people and have these conversations, I make sure to file away those details about each person and follow up on things that we've talked about in those conversations to really continue building that relationship. So ultimately, relational discovery is about getting beyond those barriers that people put up and really getting to know the individual underneath their interests, their hopes, their insights, their concerns. It's For me, it's about building a trusted coalition of people who I know I can turn to and I know will turn to me when things come up in the organization. And then on the other side of that, with analytical discovery, the focus is really on data gathering and building that deep understanding of organizational and stakeholder impacts through multiple data collection methods. And these are activities that we as change managers, I know are very familiar with. So things like stakeholder interviews, focus groups, assessments, surveys, workshops, the usual toolbox of a change manager or many consultants. And the wonderful thing about the world we live in today with all the technology we have available is that not being in that same physical location as someone else isn't really a hindrance to connecting with them and and getting our work done. There are obvious tools like Skype and Zoom for having conversations like we're having right now. And there are a lot of collaborative platforms that enable new ways of working that really help in this digital world. So at my client, we use a wide array of platforms, maybe too many sometimes, one might argue. But we use things like Slack, Confluence, SAP, SuccessFactors, and and more to connect and collaborate. And we're also contesting new tools that allow us to do things differently, knowing that we're all remote now and we're going to be probably remote for a very long time now. So we've had a lot of success with things like kudos boards for recognition and using some virtual whiteboarding technology in our brainstorming sessions to find a new way of collaborating together in uh, virtual meetings. And really, throughout all this, our team has found that especially in a highly meeting-heavy culture with so many personal and professional demands on our teammates' time, that this blend of synchronous and asynchronous collaboration helps us move a lot faster and with a lot more agility. Okay, Valerie, that's an excellent response. Just real quick, I heard you mention some aspects that I want to bring to, to the table here. We, as change managers, do understand that it's about the people making connections and the relationships that you build. I often say that in my in this line of work, it's the people you meet and the relationships that make the difference in the projects that we work. And you mentioned that's a critical piece, especially in this virtual world, to make those connections. And also the tactical uh, aspect of it is something that drives the data and gives us the insight from a uh, metric perspective on how the organization might be doing. So in the, the key facts to remember for the listeners out there is that regardless if you're remote or you're on site, it's, you still build relationships and you still uh, collect data in order to have a cohesive view of how an organization might be. That is exactly right, Julian. The methods might be slightly different, but the core of what we're doing is the same. Exactly, exactly. But you did mention some pretty cool techniques and, and tools. I'm sure the listeners will get a, a lot of out of that list of items that you, you, you shared with us. Okay, great dialogue. You mentioned earlier the word preventative. 
Now, I know what that means. And a lot of people might know what that means in the context of doing things ahead of schedule to avoid certain scenarios. But tell us from that perspective, from a change perspective, how does preventative differ from some of the methodologies that are out there today that start with the word plan? What's the difference between planning for a change and preventing some of the aspects of a change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as many of our listeners, especially those who have a change background, know that old school way of thinking about change is really, like you mentioned, plan the change, manage the change, sustain the change. And traditionally, we as change managers take a change as is. We plan for the adoption of the change. We manage that adoption process, and then we work with business leaders to sustain it. But The problem with that approach is that it is not adaptive to our stakeholder needs, the business needs, and it's not very forward-looking. And especially as we think about environments like we're in now, but even honestly, what the environment we were in before COVID, where things are changing constantly, very quickly, that's not a sustainable way to think about change anymore. So at GP, we approach change differently. And as you mentioned, and as I mentioned earlier, our focus is really focused on being preventative, proactive, and responsive. And the key differentiator here is that rather than being just a passive player in the process as change managers, we are active players. So we work with the project team to identify and predict risks and any undesirable or unintended consequences as a part of our initial discovery process. And then we make sure that our change plans take steps to make sure that those bad outcomes basically do not occur. I would like to know a little bit more, if you will, about the preventative, proactive, and responsive approach with the client. And the reason being, in our line of work, we hear plan, do, sustain, and we hear other approaches. But this sounds to to be different and a little bit more engaging. So without stealing the thunder, uh, I want to hear your interpretation of the the approach that GP Strategy uses. Of course, Julian. So at GP, we really focus on identifying those risks that I mentioned earlier upfront. And we make sure that we're working with the project team to either change the solution design, often with zero impact to the project budget, the timeline, the scope, things like that, or we use the data in our proactive phase to kind of to plan the go live in a more localized and contextualized way, really because we know from our research where those resistance points will be before we even get to implementation. Our work as change managers is to actively neutralize those resistance points before go live, during go live, and then even after go live. So as an example, at my current client, Our project team is actually doing this almost daily by having these regular conversations with our stakeholders across the organization. We have integrated project team meetings multiple times a week that bring our stakeholders and project leaders from across business areas together into one forum. And that is where we surface risks and issues, and we really co-design the solution to meet the need of the sum of all of the parts of, of the org. So lastly, when thinking about the responsive phase, that's different from what we traditionally know as the sustained phase, because 
in in the traditional way of thinking, sustainment assumes that the solution is 100% perfect and that it should be reinforced no matter what. But we know that's not always realistic. So our responsive approach is different in the way that we take really an extra effort to lean into and learn from resistance. We don't really see resistance as this bad thing, this bogey monster that we sometimes think of it as, but we instead use it to make decisions based on what we're seeing. So either we can make changes to the solution or we can continue to reinforce the solution as is, but we're not just going in and and reinforcing the change without really understanding those root causes of resistance and doing what we can to uh, alleviate them. Okay, great response. So this really means that understanding the impacts of how particular stakeholder groups are going to be affected by change is critically important. And we as experienced change uh, managers know just how important the analysis and the understanding of the change implications to particular uh, stakeholders and, and others within the organization, how critical that effort is to getting to that level of, of uh, responsiveness where we get a root cause because we know exactly what might be changing for individual or a group of individuals. Mm-hmm. And if you think about what we do now in this virtual world, before we would conduct our change impacts uh, in workshop settings and typically in a room. In a virtual world, and I've noticed that some, some clients won't even turn the video on, so you can't make that connection. So you tell me from a preventative perspective, how do you conduct your change impact analysis virtually? Mm-hmm. And what are your tips and secrets? Yeah, so as you mentioned, Julian, an impact analysis is absolutely so critical to any change effort. And it's also, it's critical to our GP's preventative phase. So thankfully, I've been very lucky to have a career that's been a mix of both virtual onsite and like in blended experiences. I haven't had to rethink my whole approach to working and engaging during this pandemic, but I can say that I've found a a blended approach across the board in thinking about how you gather data is really critical especially in this virtual environment. If you don't mind, I'd like to walk you through just an example of how I conducted my most recent impact analysis with my client in a fully virtual environment, as an example. Sure, sure. Let's hear it. Yeah, I joined an in-flight program, so it was already a couple years in, honestly, on the solution build. And as a first step, I met with the core project team to understand the basics of the initiative. And in those conversations, I really I focused on understanding their priorities, their goals, their biggest wins, along with their biggest headwinds, understanding risks, things like that. And that really helped me get uh, a lay of the land and set some initial priorities and influence some of the next steps of discovery work I was doing, but I didn't want them to influence it too much. So the next step, I went through the traditional discovery documentation reading phase. And that really helps me get a historical understanding of what had been done and what had been communicated to date. That was really just the baseline foundational. The next step is what I find personally the most fun. And that's where I gathered some quantitative data. And so typically for this, I use surveys. I did in this instance with a mix of questions measuring things like culture, sentiment around the change, sponsorship, 
activities, stakeholder buy-in, and so much more. And I also left a lot of room for comments on these because I have found through my career that you get a lot of really good insights, especially around change impact in those comments. And I actually, I do this at every client, regardless of if I'm on-site or off-site, but it is so critical when you're off-site. So in a a fully virtual engagement like this, you're not on the ground seeing the day-to-day interacting with people. So these data gathering techniques become even more critical in learning more about the organization, the culture, the behavior and beliefs, those things that you really can't see when you're just on Skype, but will impact and be impacted by the change initiative. And then at the same time as that survey, I conducted some virtual stakeholder and sponsor interviews. And as Chris mentioned in your uh, discussion last week with him, we define key stakeholders as those who uh, have the power to positively or negatively influence the success of an initiative. So they are absolutely critical to understand what we're dealing with, in, especially in this virtual environment. Okay, that all makes sense. Uh, a couple of points I want to drive to here. You mentioned the tools, and we all know that the tools are important, especially for those of us that have been in the change world for such a long time, where you, we're so data-driven now that it is the, one of the most important factors of doing our work. So we have the facts, the data, the information to support the, the engagement and the uh, path of execution. But even with the tools, you mentioned some comments, spaces available within those tools, but you also mentioned the actual interviews. And I've, had, I've worked with clients who love the tools that we use, but then they would ask, is this it? Is this the, the crux of all the impact analysis that you're going to do? And you have to ensure them that those interviews supplement the tools and make a stronger case for how people are going to be affected by the change. So tell me a bit about some of the, how you do your interviews virtually and how do you stay engaged and interactive interactive with people during those sessions? Mm -hmm, Of course. So stakeholder conversations, as you mentioned, are a complete staple of change management. And the really great thing about the environment we're in is that you don't have to really be in the same location as someone else to have a really good conversation with them. I think right now we're an example of that, right? So in my interviews, I make an extra effort to really focus on building that relationship, like I mentioned earlier, so that I build time in to spend time chatting about just non-work topics, anything I can think of. We start with the weather and we go from there. I ask them about themselves. I And then even during the, the interview itself, I make sure that I ask follow-up questions, their responses, to draw out more detail, and, and I comment on what they're saying. And that really feel makes it feel like it's not as transactional and helps build that kind of almost feeling of camaraderie in the conversation. I also like to establish trust early on in the conversation by always starting the conversation with the disclosure that the answers or whatever is said in that that conversation is confidential and it will not be shared with the project team. And so that really helps draw out more detail and more authentic sentiment than if there's some fear that if they say something a little negative or critical of the project or some way the things have been done so far, that it's it could come back and bite them. And I want to make sure that they feel perfectly safe in knowing that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at stakeholder interviews, I think the key outcome here is 
understanding what is truly sacred to the end user. And in our preventative work, that means it's about knowing you know, when and how we're going to upset that apple cart and risk the success of our project. So the goal of the conversations is to know what those major disruptors are so that then I can make plans and take actions to neutralize those disruptors through the solution design before we even go live. Yes, that's those are excellent points, Valerie. This brings back something that you said earlier that really resonates. If you make that relational connection at this point in time, it pays off because you're relying on pertinent information from a interviewee and you need that person to be candid. So they need to feel like you're genuine and that you're capturing information. If they say it's not to be shared with the project team, they feel confident that it won't be. So making those connections early on in this preventative phase and building those those relational relationships uh, or, or connections becomes vitally important as you move along this continuum with understanding impacts, get past the tools and start to have to sit down with folks and have them share sometimes things they may not share otherwise with other people. So that foundational approach to those to that type of bond to me is critical. So I, I kudos for, for bringing that to the table early on and helping us understand how important it is for people to build strong relationships and, and nurture those throughout the process. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Joanne. Thank you. I always try to remember that those stakeholder relationships are critical, obviously, to the success of the project, but they go so far beyond that project. And it's not going to be a one-time you know, conversation. Those are the people you're relying on to make this a success. Making sure that you take the initial steps to build that, that relationship will pay dividends in the end because you're going to need to lean on those people and continue having conversations with them far beyond just the discovery phase. Excellent. Excellent. All right, let's carry on. Most of us change managers are not typically involved early on or early enough in, in projects. We know where we need to be in most cases, and we're screaming and hollering, let us in. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we want to seat at the at the grown folks table, not this little table over in the corner and, and give us some Legos and some toys until we get ready to have dinner. No, we want to be at the grown folks table so we can contribute and understand what's going on. And we have a lot of value to add. So tell me about how do you get that seat at the table in this preventative um, way of thinking and how does that work and, and how have you been successful at engaging clients at that level and showing value? And that's the key. I think a lot of times the value is not recognized. So you not only are you pretty much doing a commercial for change management, but you also have to show the output. So elaborate a little bit on having the seat at the table. Yeah. So that's bringing to mind Thanksgiving. And I, so my family still has me at the child's table. So <laughs> I am very much not a child, but my clients thankfully don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout my career, I found that really the most critical factor in getting that seat at the grown-up table, be it physical or virtual or at family holidays, is really about <laughs> building trust in me as a partner and trust in the process. So from that, I see the first step to this as really building credibility, again, both for me and that process. I can tell you, I have been on more projects than I care to admit, where I didn't know anything about the technology. It was outside of my 
realm of expertise. But I spent some time with a couple subject matter experts, some judicious Googling, and that got me the information base I needed to ask thoughtful questions that showed something I had that showed that I had value to contribute rather. So as change managers, we have a really unique lens through which we see the world. And that's often missing in traditional project teams. So that perspective that we bring can really uh, lead to interesting breakthroughs if we ask the right questions and are able to sit at the grown-up table. I have found that a good way to build that credibility is through telling stories. And I like to use examples uh, of how I've influenced solution design in the past and then the outcomes or the benefits experienced to get myself a foot in the door, especially in those initial conversations with leaders or a project team that aren't accustomed to this kind of way of working or partnership with their change management. But I would say if you're a consultant who doesn't have that experience, you can even just speak more broadly about the potential benefits of this kind of perspective. And that should be able to get you at least enough of a foot in the door that you can edge your way into those meetings and start to raise your voice and bring those benefits so that then you're creating that culture within the team. That's excellent. Okay, we're getting close to the end here. Is there Are there any other nuggets? Anything else about how to get a seat at the table? Is there yes. anything else that you want to share with us? Yeah, so this one, I know it sounds so simple, but to make sure you're really in the room where it happens, I would advise just honestly the most basic thing. Talk to your client team, ask what meetings are happening, what topics are on the docket, and just say, hey, can I attend? That is, that's a really great way to just, again, get your foot in the door. And in this virtual environment, it's easy to accidentally be excluded from things, especially, again, if the project team's not used to this collaborative process. So I found myself really being a lot more purposeful and proactive in our like weekly tag-ups about asking what's going on this week, like what meetings are upcoming. And then I ask for an invite. And when I'm then in those meetings as a change manager, I'm that people expert. So I add additional value by really bringing that human dynamic and, and that perspective. And so when I do that, I, I make sure that I'm giving praise for the, the ideas of the topics that are coming up that I know the stakeholders are going to love based on my research and then I also, I raise risks. I raise my hand when I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work. Or I think this is going to be re the response to that. Let's think about if that's the best option for us or if there's something else we can do. So I really, it's all about just being forthright with your clients or your team and just saying, you know what? I think I have something to, to contribute. I would love to be part of the conversation. Can I get a seat at the table? Yeah, that's excellent advice. And that brought something to mind that truly, not that change managers are any more gifted than anybody else, although we might be. We uh, like to think so. Absolutely, in our own world. But we listen with a different filter. Mm -hmm. We listen with a, when, when a technical team, especially, let's say, a technology implementation, some of the dialogue and some of the meetings that you're in are so technically grounded that the people in that room are experts at what they do and they focus on those aspects that's going to make that technology a sound built solution. But a lot of times they don't listen with the same filter that we do from understanding how that technology is going to impact 
a certain stakeholders, a certain people. So our lenses are are different. And in order to have a well-balanced approach to a technology solution being of value to a client, then understanding how that technology solution is going to impact the organization balances out the, the overall benefit of the product, which allows us to get the people ready. So having that different lens or that different filter in my mind is another reason we should be at that table. Exactly. I could not agree more. Excellent. Excellent. All righty. So we're winding down here, Valerie. I got one more question for you. Uh, what advice would you give change practitioners, those folks that are sitting on the edge of their seat and listening to us right now and kicking off new projects, what they should understand in terms of change impacts in this totally or almost re- totally remote environment? What are some of the, the, the key points you want to leave them with on how to be effective at this more this very important process and tactic in our change engagements. Mm-hmm. First of all, I would say just take a deep breath. Things have been, it seems like changing nonstop for months. It's been very stressful, but with a preventative, proactive, and responsive mindset, any change is certainly something you can handle. So first, I would say. Again, hearkening back to this conversation, take the time to establish and grow relationships with your project team. Like we've said, building trust and building those relationships now will reap dividends later. Second, I would say plan contingencies for possible scenarios. None of us could have really predicted COVID in the way that we're experiencing it now, But there were certainly markers that we could have paid attention to have made this transition less painful. We have to assume that the environment or that situations that we're in are going to change. And especially now, they're probably going to change fast. So pandemic or not, there are you're going to have various scenarios throughout your change. And you need to plan and think through what those could be ahead of your go live. And really make sure that you have a couple different options in place. I'll plan A through C so that then you won't be scrambling to figure out what you're going to do when you're thrown a curveball in the middle of your project. And then lastly, this is something, especially in, like I said earlier, this crazy pandemic world, do regular pre-mortems and risk assessments and just keep an eye on the environment, both in the organization and outside of it, because it is more critical than ever to know the landscape and what you're working with and try to be able to use as much data as you can to anticipate what is next. So that again, you're not scrambling because you didn't see this freight train coming at you down the line and that you have to completely derail your project to deal with some change. Excellent. Excellent. Great point. I heard one thing out of that. Great points. But what what resonated with me is that we should be prepared to take our own medicine. Yes. (laughs) The very things that we're telling the client to do as change managers, we should be prepared to do those same things. And having that right mindset in terms of our delivery mechanisms, our approaches to be fluid and flexible and have the capability to continue to thrive in this environment is just as important as a client having those capabilities as well. So we have to take our own medicine. Yes. Yes. Awesome. I'll tell you, Valerie, this has been most enjoyable 
I really thank you for providing some great insight to our listeners and helping us understand the importance of change impacts, how to uh, maneuver those change impacts in this environment that we live in today, how to be flexible enough to uh, course correct when need be, when you are throwing a curveball. So your insight has been so valuable, and I'm sure our listeners will get a ton of information, usable information that they can apply when they're on their project. So once again, thank you for joining us on the podcast, and I look forward to doing this again. Of course. Thank you, Julian. It has been an absolute pleasure, and I cannot wait until our next conversation. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.